Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, it's Dr. Maggie Perry with Tell Me What You're Proud Of. And in this episode, I'll be talking to my client, Liz, for the third time. Um, Liz has listened to my consultation with Dr. Michelle Witkin, uh, but we also are just going to get started with how Liz has been doing lately. So Liz, thanks so much for being here. Can you tell me how you're doing? Hi. Yeah, so I'm on week maybe four or five of working from home, sheltering in place. Um, and there have been a couple of, of kind of content areas that have popped up for me. I don't know how well I articulated this last time, but my goal was to notice um, any anything new that, that started to come up as my routine has had to change, as so many people's have. Um, and yeah, I've noticed, I have noticed a couple of things that um, I, I are new for me. Um, one is food. I've, I, week before last, spent a whole lot of time planning and, and preparing and thinking about and over planning and preparing and thinking about um, what we were going to eat and when and when I was going to go grocery shopping and when. And I think that's something that a lot of people are probably feeling doing right now but I also am I'm pretty aware that it was um too much brain space it felt compulsive um that's great can for, you for that can you tell me where um normal planning left off and compulsive planning um started yeah so we always plan like roughly what we're going to eat for the week and who's going to cook when and then do like one big grocery shop um and then I it kind of got triggered by the fact that one grocery stores are, it's kind of scary to leave your house right now. So um, uh, the routine got thrown off there. Um, we don't want to go grocery shopping on weekends. And then I think from the routine getting thrown off and the fact that there were kind of shortages, we couldn't have what we, we couldn't buy what we normally wanted to, although it's fine now. Um, we, uh, I started, um, planning out not just dinners, but like breakfasts and lunches. It's not something I've normally had to do when I'm working in the office. Um, and, and even beyond then, like I would write it down and that didn't help. And that's kind of when I could tell that it was, that it was compulsive and it was still kind of running through my head constantly. That's a great point. That so when you made your first list, it didn't, um, give you the feeling of certainty that you'd be able to problem solve effectively. Did you, did you make excessive lists or how did you cope with the feeling of uncertainty after you had done appropriate problem solving? Yeah, I, I did, um, excessive lists 
and um, a lot of like reassurance checking, I think, for my boyfriend is, is what I was looking for the validation. And that was also another cue for me where I was like, this is, I'm thinking about this too much. Uh, and then he had to have like a kind of a, not emergency, but semi-urgent dental procedure, which we were lucky that it still happened. Um, and then we had to change the routine and and then the change of the routine I could feel that like what of my lists that I had been spent so long preparing I could feel that getting really sticky for me um but the good news is is um I I think that I think it worked I think I noticed the stickiness in this case and um <laughs> so like week before last we had like made cooked really elaborate meals like the food waste um was a, was a real issue too like part of the planning um uh, and out and like the over responsibility, like I didn't want to be taking food away from somebody who could have been using it better than I was. And it's kind of, that was kind of the content area. So how'd you call um, that, that feeling of guilt? Um, I, that's where the planning and preparation came in. I think like that if I, if I make the perfect list, then we won't have wasted any food. Um, Anyway, we had to throw out the plan. We had to kind of react, be super flexible because my boyfriend could only eat soft foods for a couple of days. Um, and I think we did it. So I ate for a week just like weird sandwiches <laughs> and like stuff that I could cobble together. And it was not, you know, following like the Bon Appetit, you know, like meal plan recipe that they have putting out there of all every food blogger is putting out a million plans. So I feel pretty good actually about the food flexibility over the last week. Yeah. I'm going to try to carry, carry that into this week with like, I want to plan still, uh -huh. but I also want the flexibility. That's the tightrope that I want to walk. Yeah. And so when you notice that your thinking around it was pretty rigid, uh, again, can you say more about, in addition to noticing, like how'd you help yourself get more flexible? Um, well, I started using the Anxiety Challenger app again to reward myself every time I noticed the rigidity, if that's a word, and um, <laughs> and uh, uh, leaned into that feeling. That's great. What what was the feeling? It was. I think it might have been a not just right feeling. It was a tightness in my chest. The same the same kind of feeling that I that I get you, um, I think you and Michelle talked about this. Uh, I listened to that and um, it was the same kind of feeling that I would get when I uh, would put on clothes and feel that, feel that it was not just right and would like not go out for that day um, or, or would need to change. Um, and it, it's kind of like the, the edge of a spiral, like this stepping into the Narnia closet moment. Yeah, that completely makes sense. And now it sounds like you use that feeling as a cue that this is a good time to give yourself points for an exposure rather than this is a good time. This is a time that I start to panic because yeah. I know that this is going to spiral. Um, can you say anything about the process of shifting from, you know, the not just right feeling is the beginning of a panic to it's the beginning of an opportunity? Yeah, there's still panic. That's the, or like the, the, if not panic, definitely the anxiety feelings. Um, and for me, I think it's the, the process starts with noticing, naming it uh, often out loud to my boyfriend. Um, and, 
and then that's for me there's often been like a second wave of of the feeling that perpetuates the initial feeling where i am panicking about that the feeling itself uh what are you which afraid we, of? of feeling afraid <laughs> yeah so there's like a whole emotional perfectionism is how you and i what you and i have called it mm-hmm. um yeah so i would the but but logistically it would be the noticing it naming it often out loud and then um allowing myself to feel that anxiety um but but instead of kind of bracing against it i guess that's hard to describe logistically because it's all super internal um uh but then giving myself like a point on that on the for for um having felt it and noticed it and then just the act of giving myself that point is is the part where i think i'm able to flip it to like okay i felt it i've noticed it good job this is me doing it and feeling those feelings instead of fighting those feelings yes that's wonderful it might i hear what you're saying that letting yourself feel the anxiety is so experiential that it's a little bit hard to explain um, one way to think about it is that you're just not, your, your attitude is one of active willingness. Mm-hmm. So you're not doing anything. Um, it's kind of like a, don't just do something, sit there where at other times you may have done something to resist against it or try to make it go away. And if after you notice a name, you then say, okay, this is a time to be, um, actively willing to allow anything that's here. Um, yeah. you probably have actually different sensations at different times, but it's that mm-hmm. attitude shift. That's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's how, it's how it's framed for myself that, that has, that is change it. And it is pretty, is very active to, to participate in that reframing each time it happens. Yeah. Was, and was there a moment that you remember that you like did this and you understood your anxiety as an opportunity and then that reinforced the behavior you know, now in the present tense, or has it been a gradual process? Like, how'd you get yourself to active willingness, willing acceptance? It's definitely been a gradual process. Um, but I, I think that the, the part that helped it, it click for me, I've talked about laundry so, so much on this podcast and just with you overall over the past year, but it, it was such a clear trigger and such a clear, um, it wasn't complicated for me. I never had to to like really untangle if it was OCD or like a rational feeling that how I was feeling about laundry literally every weekend of my life. Um, so I think that that being able to practice was something that was that obvious and that I didn't, where I didn't doubt myself and I knew that, that what I was doing, um, wasn't, I, it could, that it could be better. Um, and that be it being so obvious and, and not having to like have to have the discussion with you like is this OCD is it not OCD um, made it made it like a clear opportunity. Thank you so much for explaining it that way because I think a lot of people enter treatment with a single content area or several content areas and thinking that they have to do exposure to that particular content area and overall then their OCD will be will go away. So 
that's not really the spirit of treatment. It is true that we want to use the content area that you have at the time, because like you're saying, it can be more obviously, if you've come into treatment for that particular place that you get stuck, you're more likely to have awareness that that mm -hmm. is in fact OCD. And then we can use the fact that you suffer about that regularly as opportunities to practice. But then that transition that I think you've made from the skills that I learned while relating to my experience of laundry differently are now generalizable to all these new experiences like being in shelter in place um, is, the, is the transition that we're hoping for everyone. Um, would you say that the generalizing the skills that you use with laundry ha has been a challenging process or like, can you say anything about how you went from, um, what I was doing with laundry as an opportunity and therefore also food flexibility as an opportunity? Yeah. Um, uh, it was the, it, again, it's the internal feelings. It was being able to relate how I feel at different times and catch it. I think there was a couple of months where I worked with you on identifying those cues. And what I learned was that the cues were, um, it's not, I mean, obviously it is, there are like environmental triggers, but the cues that I was able to respond to and that I could use to like tie those those different content areas together were all internal and it was like how I was feeling and when. And so even, even down to like physical cues, uh, we talked a lot about like, Oh, what, and what are you, what do you feel like when you talk about that? And it would be like, Oh, my chest is tightening or, Oh yeah, I'm crying again. Must be shame. <laughs> um, so, example. so yeah, yeah. Being able to use how I was, how I was feeling about each of those times. Um, and then also a little bit of like, I, I spent a lot of time feeling like I needed to like track back each feeling to a content area. Um, and at one point you were like, just like, just, just give it up. Like, it's not gonna, <laughs> it's not helping. And, and I was getting like, I feel like I was getting OCD about uh, tying each like outside trigger back to a, a key content area. And it just didn't matter. Cause it, the real, the thing that mattered was how I was feeling in that moment. Yeah. Like Reed Wilson would say, like all the content is junk. It does take a bit to transition into that, I think. Yeah. Um, and so I'm happy to hear that that's what your transition um, was like. And I think I completely agree with you that it's the feelings that matter. I think one of the main interventions that even in the media, like therapists kind of are joked about is we often say, can you tell me what you feel? <laughs> and it's not a joke. It's often <laughs> the case that once someone is triggered and they're having certain thoughts, they're not really in touch with what they're feeling. And then it's hard to slow down long enough to not act on their feelings. And particularly with anxiety and OCD, where the main thing that maintains the, the problem is acting on the feeling of uncertainty or other uncomfortable feelings and trying to make the feeling go away really potentially outside of your awareness and before you even realize that that's what the feeling is. So paying attention to your feelings on purpose doesn't again, like make the situation, make it go away, but eventually you'll know yourself well enough that you use it as cues. And then you, if you can remember, Oh, when my chest gets tight or when my arms and legs are tingly, um, if I feel a little dizzy, those are all opportunities because mm -hmm. that's, that, that is signaling that I'm having anxiety or like you were saying, if I'm crying, I'm probably feeling shame. 
<laughs> my, my, regardless of what triggered my shame in the first place, my shame is a cue to connect and just share. Um, all of those concepts are definitely the type of thing that we're hoping to generalize. And again, it seems like the way that you've been able to generalize these skills into this new, really global crisis um, and this yeah. difficult time for everyone is just really exciting to hear. Yeah. Um, that said, I did cry about laundry this morning. <laughs> so <laughs> did you see it as an opportunity? Yes, I did. Uh, I, it's about, it's a, I think I've, you feel free to talk me through this. It's pretty recent. It's like an hour ago, hour and a half ago, talk but, um, uh, laundry, as we know, has been a real issue and I've gotten um, really flexible with it. And so um, decided to flexibly do some laundry this morning. But there is like a new wrinkle to it, which is um, I can't be, you can't, you can't be six feet away from an, uh, one of my neighbors in my building when you are in the laundry room together. Okay. So there's like a whole, logi an additional logistical and emotional challenge because the sense of over-responsibility um, and, and guilt is already, is already what has historically been tied up with laundry for me. And so, um, that, that was what I cried about was there were, I was, well, actually probably what I cried about was that I was shamed, shameful about feeling a whole new laundry trigger, which I haven't in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, but also guilt that I like, I'm not social distancing enough. It's just hard. I mean, it's hard right now. Like you do have to be responsible for other people and, 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 um, that's what social distancing is for. So, so it's a time, I think we talked about this last time, but it is a time where everybody is having to do a little bit of what is kind of running through my head always, but it is an extra challenge where it is, I, there's like another re reinforcer in my head of, of, what my OCD is already telling me of how responsible I am for other people, I think. So what the solution right now, I think, as I've decided, probably it's something I should keep doing. But for today, my boyfriend is now responsible for the next round of laundry. <laughs> and I am taking a breather. Um, and I'm taking, I, we swapped some chores. So that's what, that's what we're doing. I also felt a lot of guilt about having him pick up the laundry that I started. But that's where we're at. Yeah. I mean, I support everything you just said. I think everything about what you said was compassionate. I think recognizing that you cried, uh, I would say that um, the type of crying it sounds like you did was like your eyes are leaking. So yeah. like when you have the feeling of shame, your, your eyes are in the habit of tearing up and that's okay. Um, and your awareness that this is probably the feeling of shame. There's some emotional perfectionism here, maybe some anticipatory anxiety or overwhelm around like, we don't know how long this is going to last and, and in particular, yeah. how long I'm going to have this trigger. So it's okay that all those feelings were there. And then just as you were talking through it, you sounded really compassionate. Like, I know that everybody's going through this. It's okay for me to take a breather. It's okay to take a break. Um, it sounds like having the experience of shame didn't become a spiral that would lead to like feeling like you couldn't function at all the rest of the day. So yeah, um, I think that's what I'm, uh, if one of the goals is that the frequency and intensity of 
um, stuck moments decreases, then it sounds like actually today really was an opportunity for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. And, and, and it helps too, to be able to afterward to, to, it removes the the spiraling where it would, would have blocked me from a whole day, but instead I'm, I feel compassionate to myself. I felt shame and I recognized it and, and then I'm able to move on. Really happy to hear it. Um, so in awareness of our time, do you want to shift over to anything that you learned when you were listening to me and um, Dr. or Michelle talk about, you know, kind of what she was thinking when she heard your, your sessions? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, is there, do you want to start or? Yeah. So um, it was really overall, I think that um, I was really kind of heartened is a weird way. I don't want to, you know, it's not like I'm not happy that anybody else is, has these kinds of experiences, but it was really helpful. I think for me to hear that um, um, these are, there are commonalities with what I'm feeling with um, what Michelle and, and her patients have talked through. This is something we've talked about. You've told me that other people have these experiences. You group therapy is a big part of your practice, but it was just nice to, here it made me feel better that that this is that these kinds of experiences are 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 shared um yeah that that i think was my biggest takeaway i think one of the particular struggles with ocd and and sometimes anxiety but sometimes more so ocd is it feels so idiosyncratic and unique to you that that's even one of the things that makes it hard to understand when is this my OCD and when is this, um, me. Um, and so I'm really happy to hear that you had that experience and you can see that because once you start to see, Oh, like the, the likelihood that I would make up patterns that happen to occur (laughs) for millions of other people is that is not like specifically me or my personality or something Mm -hmm. like that, I think speaks to like, yes, this is a disorder. Um, mm-hmm. It's a pattern that we see across people that suffer in, in the exact same way. And then there's mm-hmm. very specific skills that you can learn to relate to it more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy to hear that. Do you want to comment any more about that? Yeah. I, well, the, another part of that that stood out to me that I hadn't really thought about is Michelle mentioned um, working with children and, and having um, how she talks children through in the same way and t- teaching them the same kind of skills and really blew me away. I can't even imagine um, how a child kind of navigating these experiences that we've been navigating, that you've been helping me navigate together. Although I guess I did, I probably, I did do that I guess, as a child as well. Yeah. And how do you feel towards your childhood self when you think about, and even the shame that you've carried over the years, when you think about the fact that you've probably been relating to tax with perfectionism your whole life? Yeah. Um, um, in some ways, in some ways, I, it, I, I mean, I like who I am most of the time now, which is something that I've really worked on. And I, and I, a lot of the things that I value about myself and my abilities um, is, I think it's back to like why we, the goal is not to not have anxiety. Like I've, I, I don't want to mute those pieces of me that I, that I really like. And I do think me as a child, I was building those parts of me as well. Although something that, um, that you talked about with Michelle was, uh, how ingrained 
some of the some of the things are and 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 how it's almost habitual um and so she, i think i can't remember if it was you or her but you, you you were talking about how some people have never even like tried facing facing those feelings i definitely think that that was me i really related to that where i and i think that a lot of our um work over the past year plus has been um you saying how about you try this how would it feel if you tried this and i have literally no idea because i've never tried that before and that goes all the way back to my childhood too i'm sure yeah so it really did feel like an experiment it was it was yeah me like tricking you into doing it once so that you'd do it forever you really had never tried it so you really didn't have experiential awareness of what it would feel like yep okay that's really um i'm I'm glad to hear that. Thank you for making that point. I do want to reemphasize that in therapy, when uh, you're doing an experiment or an exposure, it really is meant to be an experiment that the mm. assumption is that you've never tried it another way. And so you just try it out and see what it's like. And then mm -hmm. from there. Yep. Uh, another part that really stood out to me um, was something that I can't, I can't remember if we've talked about it um, for this podcast, but um, I've, I've had trouble putting words to it before um, where I feel, and I think it is like a driver of shame um, where with like laundry or being able to just like put on clothes that feel right and go out and do things. And what I've said in the past, but it's never been quite right. Is that like, I feel like I'm not like adult enough. How come I can't just like do this like a normal functioning adult would do. And what you talked about with Michelle was the feeling of perfectionism being so such a blocker to even getting started that um, you that people with OCD could feel like oh I'm lazy and I think that that's that's the feeling that I had been having when I was trying to say oh I'm not adult enough to be able to do these things it was like how come I can't just do it how come I'm so lazy that I can't just do it and that was a real like shame driver for me probably still is in some content areas so um, what do you do now when you start to think that you're not adult enough to, um, you know, you know, in some ways you're not adult enough. Like, do you, how, how do you think about that now? Well, I actually think this morning's laundry was like a good, a good example of that because that's why I was crying and I felt guilt about Adam, my boyfriend having to, um, uh, uh, go finish the laundry for me. Um, uh, I think that that's the part that I am, have been, that's been the hardest to work on, but that's the part that's been the most important to work on is building compassion for myself where like, that's okay. He, it's not in it. He's fine. It's fine. You know? Um, I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it absolutely does. Actually, you might even um, shift your thinking to when you start thinking I'm not being an adult right now. Oh, I get a point for that too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's yeah. going to be a guilt and shame exposure. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a great cue for me to, to rely on as well. Yeah. Okay. That sounds great. I know we had talked before about um, cr not just getting started on chores and daily activities, but there's other things in your life that you care about that you want to get started on. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, so it was interesting to me, Michelle brought this up, and, and we hadn't talked about it on the podcast, but it's something that we have uh, talked about in the past, which is, um, I've, I've, I've always loved writing, and I have, 
ideas and and stories that I want to that I've always wanted to write down and um, an ongoing area for me that I'm still working on is um, actually allowing myself to do that and and to um, not not think about it so much and plan it so much. I do I do a lot of like thinking and planning and preparing to write and needing to feel uh, like everything is perfect this my environment and how I'm feeling inside is like the perfect time to write so a whole lot of perfectionism that's kind of has been preventing me from writing and um, that actually stood out to me from what Michelle was saying that she that that's something that she works on with people who have OCD and and are creative um, that was interesting to me as well something I'm still working on yeah what is it what might it mean for your smallest next step like, how do you, what, what is your smallest next step now that you've noticed and named what's happening? Um, something that I think the smallest next step the, the, is to um, write something different maybe than, than what I've been planning. So I, my goal would be to like journal, just to write literally anything down. I, I started in a small way, but it's still lists, which feels a tiny bit OCD to me. <laughs> um, so uh, like freeform journaling, people do this thing called morning pages. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Yeah. Tell me. Yeah. Where you like, I can't remember. They say like maybe five, 10 pages. You're supposed to like freeform, write. I can't remember the exact number of pages. You're supposed to freeform, write Just like blah, all of your thoughts in the morning first thing um, as an unblocker. And that's something that I don't think I'm going to do that many pages, but maybe just start with one page. Uh, um, and the point of it is, is not to have like a piece of writing that anybody ever sees. Um, maybe that could be what undoes my perfectionism. Although the real step before that, I think, um, would be to notice when I am trying, when I want to do that. And instead I am um, throwing up all of the things that aren't perfect about the situation. So it might be, it, might, it always comes back to noticing. So it might be noticing is my real first step. Yeah, I think so too. The other thing is rather than committing to any amount of words or pages, you might commit to just opening the document. Like mm. Opening the document and not making a list. So mm -hmm. anything that's coming to mind once the document is opened mm -hmm. uh, would be great. I think it's really similar to uh, people that are starting with exercise. The mm. smallest next step can be putting your shoes on every day uh, yeah. rather than a, a, a certain amount of miles because the idea is if you put your shoes on and you leave the house, you're probably going to do some form of exercise. So if you open your computer and open up the um, document, you're probably going to write something down. And then eventually if that's the habit, you're, you're going to write more and more over time. Wow. I love that. That's going to be my goal for my next social distancing week. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Um, in awareness of our time, are there other things that were coming to mind that you wanted to make sure that you talked about? Um, I don't think so. I think we've covered a lot. Okay. Well, um, one thing that you had said that I just want to highlight or give you the um, opportunity to kind of end on is mm. that um, it sounds like you're starting to feel more pride when you feel oh, yeah. passionate. Um, mm -hmm. Do you want to say anything about that shift for you? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that that was um, something that uh, Michelle spoke about. Uh, she said um, that she described it as courageous, I think. Um, uh, what I the the work that we have been doing or how I spoke about it, which really made me feel proud of myself. I guess that is right in line with this podcast. Um, so, so yeah. I, yeah, I think what I'm proud of, what it comes back to is I'm proud of the work that I've done to, to get, um, where I am today. Um, yeah, it felt good. It felt good to, to hear you discuss the, the last couple of sessions we've had with Michelle. Yeah. And just to frame that back to you, I th and you started to say this before too, when you, I think a lot of people come into treatment hoping that their anxiety will go away. Mm -hmm. And when you're able to make that shift to treatment is not about making anxiety go away, but it's learning to build a ritual and meaningful life along with your anxiety. So learning to, it's not possible or even the goal to not be anxious, but rather to relate to your anxiety in a way that you can um, live by your values and achieve your goals. And mm -hmm. that means that you'll often have to bring uncomfortable feelings and anxiety along, which inherently is courageous. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not courage is not to not be afraid of, of something or anything. It's to do those things anyway, despite the, despite the fear. And in this case, despite the anxiety. Yes, I completely agree. Let's end on that. Thank you so much, Liz, for your time. See you soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategies shared here. Thank you.